I can remember with all three of our children where we were. We were in Memphis with our firstborn at a church in Memphis and then in eastern Arkansas and Lake City, Arkansas. We were there. And then with th- our third one, we were in a little bush village out in Gweru, uh, Zimbabwe with Joshua. These are special moments where families put their stake in the ground and they really say from this point forward, there's going to be a, there's going to be a marked difference. There's going to be a directional shift or whatever that may look like and be uh, from family to family. So a beautiful time together and also beautiful as a church as out of the 30 different children that will be a part of our, our celebration today, seven of them are adopted. And so uh, again, a beautiful picture at Grace Point of just the mosaic work that, that goes on and on and on. Today I want to speak to the family. And uh, I want to speak to the family from my heart and from the Word of God in Joshua chapter 24, so you could be finding that. I want to speak because as I look across the the spectrum of teenagers being dedicated and the families being dedicated, and then all the way to a newborn baby being dedicated, just it just reminds me of the spectrum in life and time and how it all goes so fast, and we need to do it well. And I tell you what, this world is not pushing for us, it's pulling against us. If you want to raise children of value, if you want to raise another generation of character and, and, and integrity in your home, I don't know if you feel that tension, that pull. I, I would certainly ha- think if you don't live in a, in, in a box, that you're going to feel that pull away from truth and values. In fact, a survey was done among 1,600 parents asking them uh, the challenging questions about raising up their children, and, and one of those was on honesty, and they asked 12 different focus groups, and of those focus groups, honesty said 91% of the families said, I want to raise my children to be truthful and honest, and I would imagine across this room today, that would be your desire as well. At the same time, in the same survey, of the same people, those parents said 28% of them feel like they're doing an, an adequate job about it. How tough is that? Again, another one, as it appears there, is money. Money is one of those things that we struggle with and we want to get, we want to get our handles on and, and not be controlled by. Money is, a, is an issue that we say, well, we want to raise our children to handle money well, 70%. But notice again the disparaging situation and feeling like the parent is doing. About 29% feel like they're raising their parent, excuse me, they're raising their children in an effective financial stewardship manner. And again, a, a disconnect. See the margin that is there. A, another one that we, that, that we have is protecting their kids against drugs and alcohol. Most parents feel like they will not be able to successfully keep their children away from the abusive and harmful effects of alcohol. Now, I'm not trying to discourage anybody who's trying to have children or want to have children someday. I'm just waking you up to the reality that parenting isn't easy. Uh, grandparenting isn't easy. As you take on a generational uh, lead, it's not easy as, as you move forward. The negative messages out there, trying to keep your children away from the negative message. 77% of the, the parents said it's just difficult. The media, the movies, everything that's out there is negative and derogatory and tears down, listen, tears down character, tears down integrity, tears down the values that you want to get into the next generation. And so, Again, with this great disparaging margin there, how are we in this generation going to prepare the next generation for what they're going to face in their generation? 
How are we going to do that unless we have some strong moral compass? Unless we have real clear character in our own life. In fact, the psalmist said it like this in Psalm 101. He says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Listen, you want a verse to memorize this week? Start right there. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Can you say that the integrity level, the character level, is very high in your home? Can you say that whenever you talk and deal with people, that it's honest, transparent, authentic, and real? Or is it clouded? Is it hidden? Is it obscure? Is it not exactly everything as it appears to be? I hope that you can say that because I hope that you can raise a generation. I hope that I will raise a generation of children in the next generation that will get this, that will have that level of character and integrity to take them through. Because listen, it is in the home, that is where the generation will get its values, will get its character. It will be formed in the home. Now, in the world, it will be tested. The problem is, is that we have advocated, we have given ourselves over, we have allowed, we said, okay, I'm going to take my kids to church so they can learn morals and integrity and ethics. And I'm going to send my kids to school so they can learn how to be honest in business and have good business sense about them and education so they can be good educators. And we have taken our role many times too often as parents and instead of seeing it as a partnership, We've given it to the schools. We've given it to the church. And we, if they don't do it well, then it's their fault. It's a problem with this. We need to understand it's my role, it's your role with our children and the next generation and the next generation to make sure that there's integrity. Make sure that there's character. And in this world of where there's no absolutes, it appears that we, don't, we can't even define what integrity and truth are. I want us to look at a century-year-old individual today. I want us to go back in the Old Testament to a man named Joshua who lived an amazing life. A, a man who lived to be 110, but when he lived his life, it, he lived it well, he lived it strong, he experienced a lot. He experienced the, the, he experienced the, me, the captivity of being in Egypt. And he was with them when they left the Egyptians. He was with them during all the plagues. He was with them. He was with them whenever Moses sent 12 spies to spy out the land, to look for the land that was promised to them. And he, along with Caleb, were the only two that came back out of those 12 spies and said, yes, with God's help, we can take the promised land. But as you know the story, the majority ruled, and 10 said, no, we can't, and they stayed for 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. And it would only be, Mo, it would, excuse me, it would only be Caleb and Joshua that would be free and allowed to go into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua are clearly some of my biggest favorite Bible individuals, and thus the sons, my sons' names are Caleb and Joshua. But it would, it would be Joshua that would be free and allowed to, to go into the promised land. But not only that, he would be the successor to Moses' leadership. He would take on the sandals and he would walk in some very big sandals to carry the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land, to conquer the promised land, to take the land that God had promised them years ago. Why am I reliving all of this? Because it does play into this. When we're listening today, you're not listening to the words of Mike McDaniel, the philosophies of some psychologist over here. You're listening to the words of Joshua. 
who's probably about a century year old at this point when we're reading in, in chapter 24. And he's lived a lot and he's seen a lot and he's experienced a lot and he knows the hand of God. And he knows in this time of peace, because the Bible does say that they're living in a time of peace, that it's, now listen families, it's whenever you think that everything's okay, that you need to batten down the hatches. You need to be abundantly aware that things may not be okay. And so it's in this moment of where everything's okay, there's peace in the land, the conquest has been made, that all of a sudden, I'm not trying to get you to live in fear, but I'm just trying to say when you think everything's okay, that's when Satan will slip in. That's when things will begin to unravel if you're not careful. You've got to be aware of what's going on in and around in, in your own heart and life. And so Joshua, he steps up to the, to, 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 um, to the, to the I guess, the microphone one more time. And as he steps up, he calls together the elders and the leaders of the people of Israel. And they go on a retreat, if you will, to the place called Shechem. Now, Shechem probably won't mean much to you and I. But Shechem was a very historical place. It was a place that Abraham had built an altar at Shechem. Jacob had built an altar at Shechem. And in chapter 24, you find him with the leaders of Israel at this historical, monumental, epic place. And he calls them together and he relives the story of God and his love for the people of Israel, his love for humanity. And he unfolds that story. And from that story, he then turns on a dime in verse 14, where we'll be in just a moment, and he begins to challenge the families. Now just think about it for just a moment here, okay? There's a lot of things in one of the final addresses that, that Joshua could have said. He could have talked about conquering more land. You know, again, business practice up and to the right. Getting more, attaining more, having more. He could have talked about that. He could have just allowed the moment to be about him. Because after all, he's a century year old, he's got a lot of experience, and he should be honored. But he doesn't. Listen very carefully. He turns their attention to their own families. He said, listen, families, you better beware. You need to be cautious and you need to rise to the challenge that you're going to be facing. So today, from that right there, I want to look at two verses primarily, verse 14 and verse 15 of chapter 24. And I want us to see today three steps to building a family of character. The first one would be that we would rise to the challenge that we must consider. All right, rise to this challenge. So if you have your Bibles, again, look there. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 14, you find him saying this, Now therefore. Now anytime you see the word therefore, you ask wherefore, therefore is therefore. All right? It only makes sense that if he's saying therefore, he's responding to something that he just said which is why everything I just summarized, that, hey, God's done a great work, He's been a great God, He wants to do a great work, now therefore. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers who served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now when you look at verse 14 and you, and you read that and you just kind of begin to see immediately he gives very succinctly the challenge to us all. He says, therefore, what are we to do? Fear the Lord and serve Him. Fear the Lord and serve Him. 
What does God ask of you and I today? He asks of us what our families need to understand and embrace and, and put our arms around today is this very same challenge. We need to fear the Lord. This is an attitude toward God. This is an attitude of worship toward God. We need to have a family of worship. Now, I'm not just pointing to the congregation of Grace Point today. I'm pointing to each individual family today to say, is God in your family? Is He in your home? Is it a day-to-day relationship with Him? Because fear is not the fear of, I'm, I'm afraid of thunderstorms. This is a fear of respect. This is a fear of awe. This is a fear of, God is great and, and I am unworthy. This is what generates an attitude of worship. The band can sing all day long and you stand there and look like a wooden Indian. But the reality is if you have an awe-inspiring fear of God, you can't help but worship. It just comes out. In fact, if you were to read from the, the memoirs of, of great King Solomon, the wealthiest man, the most successful king who had ever lived and led the, the nation of Israel was King Solomon. But if you read his memoirs, and I would encourage you to go home and read Ecclesiastes, because when you read it, you will find a man who had done it all, experienced it all, had it all, but yet at the end of it all, he said it was vain and empty and futile. But then he comes to the last chapter and the last words of the last chapter, and he makes this statement to us just to help us to understand if you want to live well, here's how you live well. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, fear God. And keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. If you want to know everything that you need to do in life, if you want to live well on this earth, if you want to have a family that lives well, and Lord knows that Solomon had problems in the next generation. You just read the history again of it. Live in fear, that worshipful, all respect of God. Let worship flow out of your home. Let it flow out of your life. Understand His principles and live by them. One of my favorite verses, Psalm chapter 22, uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, when He tells us that you want to know what the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is? Riches, honor, and life. You can go to the bookstore today, you can get online today, and you can look up riches, honor, and life. How do I get riches? How do I get honor? How do I get life? You can choose any of those topics and find a a myriad of books that you can choose from to read from. Probably a hundred or more for each one of those. How do I become rich? How How do I receive honor? How do I live life to the fullest? Or you can read the Proverbs and read it all in one verse if you will learn humility. I'm not everything I thought I was. God is everything He says He is. And I'm going to live under that. When we live with it in a fearful all relationship with God, it can be riches, honor, and life like you've never seen and experienced before. But let me just say this. Worship is what it ends up being in a word. God is calling us to this awe-inspiring, fearful, respectful relationship with Him. Number two, he said, you read it right there with me. He said, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. This is actions for God. One is an attitude, one is an action. And if we have good attitude toward God in this all fear and relationship with God, it will lead to service. Now, you've heard me say it last week even in, in last week's message. We have a challenge around here. It's not just something that's convenient for us. It's not a cool, cool 
cool phrase, but we just say worship one, serve one. Worship one, serve one. Everyone needs to have a place where they're serving. Everyone needs to have a time when they're worshiping. It's just a part of our processes, but let me tell you what, it's healthy as well. It's healthy. You need a place where you're breathing in. You need a, you need a time when you're breathing in, and then you need a time when you are breathing out where you are serving and you are worshiping. And that's exactly what he tells us to do in this passage. Now, you might think in that alone there's a message, okay? And you think, okay, Mike, check, check. I'm here, check, and I have a place of service, check. I'm okay, right? Well, the people of Israel were probably doing that in a very healthy way as well. But here's the problem. Listen very carefully what may slip in. Unbeknownst to you, unaware for generation after generation, what may slip into your life is something called generational sins. Because if you'll notice what he says in the very next part of this verse, is he says, hey, by the way, you need to put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. See, what had happened, even though there had been generations removed, there had been decades removed from living in Egypt, while the people of Israel had lived in Egypt, they had picked up, taken along with them, for the ride, for the ride into the promised land, they had taken along with them some things, they had taken along some philosophies, they had taken along some ways that their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents did, and if it was good enough for them, it was going to be good enough in that generation. You see what happened here? All the way back to Egypt, they had carried with them this idolatry, these philosophies, these ways that were not of God. Now please don't miss this. We're talking about a family, talking about the health of every family in this room. One of the best things you could do is to go back and look at your family. Go back for generations and figure out what in my previous what in my family, what's in my family tree that I don't want in the next generation. What is it? Name it. What idol? Have you been carrying around, your parents, grandparents, and so forth have been carrying around, and you have got to do one thing, and it says only do one thing, and it's not even difficult. Put it away. Circle the words. Put it away. Get rid of it. Burn it. Discard it. Confess it. Get it out of your life. You want to have a family that's going to rise to the challenge? Then we are going to have to go into our families and make sure that we're worshiping Him well, we're serving Him well, but we have cleaned out the closet too of the things that are not of God. And that may be hurtful and it may require some rearrangement of priorities in our life. See, so many things get added into our life, extracurricular things. Extra hobbies. Extra, extra, extra. And all of a sudden, here's the problem with extras. See, you get so many extras in your life, and all of a sudden, extras become primaries. You know what happens to primaries when extras become primaries? Primaries become extras. Church becomes extra. Worship becomes extra. Serving becomes extra. And because you have so many other primaries now in your life, now no longer is God a primary. So, put it away. Put it away. Put it away. A preacher was visiting across some historic castles in England. In the 15th century, he came to a castle, a 15th century castle. And he was sitting in there eating a meal, and he looked up on one of the I-beams. 
one of the beams that was holding up the, 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 the structure of this castle. It had this engraving, the house shall be preserved and never shall decay where Almighty God is worshipped day by day. The house shall be preserved and never shall decay when, where Almighty God is worshipped day by day. So let me ask you a question. How much is God a part of your family day by day? Moment by moment. Number two, it leads us to another step in this process. Once you understand the challenge, it leads you to a choice. Again, this whole going back and looking at the past and getting rid of the Egyptian idols of our life that we've carried for generations and decades have been just passed down. And once we identify them, then we have a choice to make. And it's exactly what Joshua told to the people of Israel, to the elders and the leaders of the nation of Israel. If they were ever going to move forward, he tells it in verse 15, and he says it like this. He says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers who served in the region uh, uh, beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in the lands that you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want us to understand some things about this choice that we have out there. Because there's lots of choices that we have. In fact, God calls us to choices constantly. If you go back in the Old Testament, you find where, where Elijah called the people out of being waffling back and forth. He says, why do you stand between, how long will you waver between two opinions? Let me say this to you today, because this may be a, 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 an epiphany moment for you. This may be the day for you. But it's time to get off the fence. It's time for your family to get off the fence and decide whether or not your family is going to serve God. Elijah said it. He said, listen, you're going to need to quit waffling and wavering here. Between he, Jesus said it to the church at Laodicea when He said that you're neither hot nor cold. You, I wish you were either hot or cold because you're lukewarm. Neither are you hot or cold. But I will spit you out of my mouth. Literally means to vomit you out of my mouth in Revelation chapter 3. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because I want you to be either hot or cold. Let's quit waffling, wavering. Let's quit between going between two opinions. And so you come to this passage and you come out with three pers or with several personal statements that he makes to us. One is you need to understand that there is a personal choice that you and I have to make. Notice that he said, you choose. I'm not going to force it on you. You want the gods of the Amorites? Go for it. You want the gods of the fathers beyond the river? Go for it. Just go for it, but make a decision. You need to make a decision. You have a choice. But also notice this. It's a timely choice. The, the choice is timely in that he said, I want you to choose this day. Quit Again, quit playing the two-step with God. Quit, quit waltzing with God. Quit wavering with God. Quit waffling with God. Listen, get in and decide. Billy Graham said it so succinctly. He said, not to choose is to choose not to. Are you in or are you out? Are you with me or are you against me? Jesus said. Number three is that it's a lifestyle choice. Notice he said, I'm calling you today to choose who you will serve. Who are you going to serve? Yourself? Your business? Your pride? Your hobbies? You need to decide. You need to decide today. It's a choice for you and your family. Listen, 
Your children need you to put a stake in the ground. Your grandchildren need to see from generation to generation that this generation is unwavering in our commitment. But it's also a family choice. Notice that he said, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you imagine this century-year-old man? Probably bent over, got a cane, and he is probably beating it on the ground. He says, listen, as for me and my house, He's got generations behind him. He's got multiple generations behind him. Maybe three or four. And he's saying, listen, unwaveringly, my family is going to serve God. Where are you? Where are you? And I want to say to the men, let me speak to you. I know it's Mother's Day. Let me speak to the men. You want know the best gift you can give your, your wife today and for the rest of your marriage and the rest of your life is for you to rise up and be the man who says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord unapologetically, unambiguous, we will serve the Lord. The best gift you could give your wife. In fact, studies show, and Baptist Press published it, 93% of the family members will follow his example if a man is the first in his family to accept Christ. 93%. Men, the world is waiting, your family is waiting for you to rise up and to say that we will serve the Lord. Number three, and this is probably one of the most disturbing passages in Scripture, and but one of the stages we've got to understand, and that's the crisis that we must avoid. We've got to avoid this. Men and women, mothers and fathers, grandparents. We've got to avoid this here in chapter 24, the very last chapter of Joshua. Skip over two pages to uh, Judges chapter 2, and we're catching the very last scene in the life of Joshua. Very last scene. And I want to say this to you again. Because I want you to hear it in my voice. In my heart. And, and I've read the Bible obviously through multiple times. I'm not saying I know everything. But I'll say this. From my lenses today. I think the most disturbing passage of Scripture you're about to read. The most troubling passage of Scripture you're about to read. And the reason I say that is because what happens in this passage is avoidable, preventable. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 6. Then Joshua dismissed the people, and the people of Israel went each to, to his inheritance and take possession of his land. Now can you just imagine this? Everything is about the land and the possessions. The stuff, the material, the gain, the bigger, the brighter, the faster. And man, does that not speak of America. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That's not bad. Nothing wrong with that. We're all good right now. All the days of the elders now lived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord. They had literally seen. They'd walked with. They'd walked on the dry land of the Jordan River. They'd seen the conquering of the, of the land. They had seen that. They experienced that. They'd been a part of that. And Joshua and the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of the inheritance of Timoth Harris. In the hill country of Ephraim, in the north mountain of Gesh. And the next verse that I'm about to read is the most disturbing verse that I know of in the Bible. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That means they died. 
And there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord there, know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. We are one generation away from Christianity being extinct. Parents, grandparents, we have got to understand what has happened here. They have seen, they have experienced. Their fathers, the grandfathers, had walked on the, the dry land of the Jordan River. They had been and seen and, and been a part of the conquest of, the, of, of Canaan, the land of Canaan. They had done it, they had done it, but one generation removed, they did not know the work, of, they did not know the Lord, nor the work that He had done in Israel. Now what's the problem here? You've got one generation experiencing God, and you've got the next generation not knowing who God is. And there's only one thing I can think of in the middle is neglect. Is neglect. Uh, my call out to every family in this room. Don't let your children be the generation that doesn't know God. Know the works of His hand. Listen, we at Grace Point, I'll tell you right now, you can take your children and they can serve right along with you. I loved it this morning the Oliphants sitting there checking in, and she had her child sitting right in her lap. Uh, I love it whenever I see parents with their children teaching other children. What really thrills my soul is whenever a family takes their children on a global adventure around the world to serve an under-resourced and unreached people group in the world. You talk about giving your kids a new perspective on life and the world and on Christ, do that. It'll change them or rock them bigger than Mickey Mouse. I was in a, a Tampa Bay this past week and I was sitting in a sushi bar. I love sushi. And uh, it was a slow time. And a 23, 24-year-old, young, attractive Latino girl came up and w was my waitress and she was taking care of me. And we talked, we interacted for a little bit. And, and um, when we were talking... Um, she found out I was a pastor, and she oh, yeah, I used to I used to go to church, which gave me an open door to probe a little further. And so we talked a little further, and come to find out that uh, she grew up in Atlanta, great Christian home. From every appearance on the outside, was homeschooled all the way through school. So every appearance to say that this child was going to go in the right direction, only to find out she's not in church anymore. In fact, I said, so what are you doing now? She said, I'm a practicing Buddhist. Well, how did that happen? Now, I literally asked her that. I mean, we're having this conversation. Well, how did that happen? And she said, Christianity in my home was fake. Listen, moms and dads, I beg you, be real. Be sold out. And don't be fake. The next generation is watching. And if you don't show them who God is, they'll never know Him. And if you don't show them the works of God, they'll never see it. 